0: Good morning, once again. Um, We have, for the last um, eight weeks, been working through a series called Refocus and talking about our vision for 2030, which seems so far off, but um, as most of you know, it will be here in the blink of an eye. And so we have spent these last eight weeks trying to walk through what this new vision looks like, and today we're going to finish up that series. Next week we're going to begin a new series um, called The Art of Neighboring, and I think you will really, um, and I hope, get a lot out of that series that will lead us up into the Thanksgiving um, holiday and the Christmas holidays, and so um, be here for that next week. Perspective has the ability to change the way that you see things. Um, when you look at something from one perspective, it can look one way, and when you look at it from another, it can look another way. There's a really popular art form that has emerged with sculptors and artists here um, recently in the last um, 40 to 50 years that deal primarily with perspective. Um, I'm going to butcher this name, but Bernard, it's a French name, I think Pra, but Bernard Pra, a French artist does a lot of this sculpting with perspective in mind. I want you to watch this. It's about 40 seconds. There's ambient noise maybe if the sound works, but if it doesn't, it doesn't really matter. amazing perspective changes the entire piece of art because if you look at it from the side it's merely a pile of junk but when you look at it straight on through the lens that he has provided for you it is a beautiful masterpiece perspective changes the way that you see things. Primarily, perspective changes the way in which we see the world as followers of Jesus. There are some stories that occur in Acts consecutively, and I want to look at two of those this morning in Acts chapter 9 and 10. And we're going to kind of work through those stories. The first is the conversion of a man named Saul. I want to just read a couple of verses here from the end of his conversion story, beginning in 17 of chapter 9. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it, placing his hands on Saul. He said, "'Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit.'" immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again he got up and was baptized and after taking some food he regained his strength the story ends here with Saul seeing once again being baptized regaining strength and then very next verse talks about him going out to preach the gospel of Jesus, the good news that Jesus Christ has come into the world to save and redeem the world. And if you don't know much about Saul, his story really began a couple of chapters earlier with a guy named Stephen. As Stephen's being stoned to death by the Sanhedrin, it says that Saul is there giving his approval to what is happening. And so chapter 9 begins with Saul on the way to Damascus to persecute believers there. And as he approaches the city, this light hits him. This voice comes down that says, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute you persecute me? And he says, who are you, Lord? And he says, I am Jesus whom you're persecuting. And Saul is blinded. And he's led by the hand, by these men, I guess, who are with him into Damascus where he cannot see for three days. And Saul's story is this contrast in moving from light, or from dark to light. The very next chapter, there is another story. A disciple of Jesus named Peter has this vision where this sheet is let down from the four corners of the earth and on it are animals of all kinds, clean and unclean. And a voice says to Peter, take and eat. And Peter says, no, 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 no. Not I. I am a good, faithful, kosher Jew. I will never do such a thing. And this happens three times. And then Peter finds himself just a day or so later here. Verse 27 of chapter 10. And while talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. And he said to them, You are well aware that it is against our law, For a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. And so when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. May I ask why you sent for me? See, Peter has had this vision. And a disciple named Cornelius has come to Peter to bring him to the house of a Gentile after Peter has seen this vision. And both of these stories are about conversion. Because really when you boil conversion down, what conversion is, is simply a new way of seeing things. And these two components happen within Conversion that I don't think we think about, but there is this deconstruction followed by reconstruction that bring about conversion. There is a deconstruction that happens of the way that we currently see things and then a reconstruction that happens of the way that we're supposed to see things. And on the other side of deconstruction and reconstruction, there is a conversion that happens where there is now a new person who sees things differently from a new perspective. And in both of these stories, Saul gets the, the chance to see things from a new perspective. And Peter gets the chance to see things from a new perspective. And both of them have life-changing moments in these conversions. So Saul in chapter 9 is on the road to Damascus. Meanwhile, verse 1. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. And he went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found anyone there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on this journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell on the ground and he heard the voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there, speechless as they heard the sound, but did not see anyone. And so Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see Nothing, and so they led him by the hand into Damascus. You have Saul on this journey, so sure about everything. He's gotten the letters from the religious authorities that he can go taking any one prisoner who is belonging to the way, who's following Jesus and he can persecute them. So sure of what he is supposed to be doing, so confident in himself as he follows this road. And I'm sure he has a group of soldiers along with him to help take prisoners, to help carry out the persecution, to do what is ever necessary to protect the way of God because he is so certain that what he is doing is of God and as he is on the way into the city a light a light so bright shines that it knocks him to the ground and a voice Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Saul says, Who are you, Lord? And he reveals himself to Saul and says, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. And then Saul stands up. He stands up and it says, He opens his eyes. And he can see nothing. Just moments ago, so certain of everything in life. So sure that he was doing exactly what God wanted him to do. Passionately pursuing him. And now, opening his eyes and cannot see, and the men who are with him, it says, have to take him by the hand and lead him. Talk about a wrecking ball to everything you have ever believed. That I am certain this is what I am supposed to be doing. And now I am so uncertain that I can't even lead myself. Someone else is having to lead me, They're, they're having to take me by the hand because my eyes are open and I cannot see. And for three days, all fasts. I would imagine he fasted and prayed. And I would imagine he did not know what to pray, because everything that he was so sure of, everything he had spent his life building up towards, was now completely destroyed because they encountered Jesus. And I would imagine he just went back to the most simple, basic Jewish prayers there are—prayers from the Scripture: "Shema Israel, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai, hard. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. Love the Lord with all your heart." soul, mind, and strength. But for Saul, this is not the moment that he is converted. This is where his conversion begins, with deconstruction. The way that he sees the world, the way the perspective that he has seen everything with is now just crumbled before his feet. A moment ago so sure of everything that he knew and everything that he believed. And now so unsure of everything he ever held on to. his faith his belief system of what it meant to be a good God fearing Jew it crumbled in his hands and he was left searching he was left unable to see and led by the hand into a city there's another conversion that happens in this story of a man named Ananias. Because Ananias, if you remember, has this vision from God. And he tells them that you're going to go to this man named Saul and he says, I can't do that. You know what Saul has been doing to these people who follow Jesus, who belong to the way. I cannot do that. But yet, somewhere in here, God shifts his perspective to see Saul not as a threat, but a tool that God will use for the gospel to go forward. He gets a new perspective. Then there's the story of Peter. You see, it's around noontime, and Peter has gone up to the roof to pray. And as he's praying, they're preparing the meal. He's hungry, and he falls into a trance. And he gets this vision of this sheet that says it's let down from the four corners of the earth, and on it are reptiles and animals, unclean. And a voice says to Peter, take and eat. And I think Peter thinks it's a trap. Oh, not, not, not I, not I, surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. You have to get up pretty early in the morning to fool me. But I will not compromise my beliefs and my values. And yet this vision occurs again. And this voice again says take and eat. And says it happens 3 times. And just a few short verses later, you have Peter. Now, imagine this. For the very first time in his life, walking across the threshold of a house into the house of a Gentile, Something that he believed with all his might and all his being and all his mind that was completely wrong. And he walks through these doors for the first time and he greets them saying, You know that it's against the law for me. To be here. See, what do you do when the perspective that you have always seen God from crumbles in your hands? What do you do when you meet someone who pushes back against everything you have ever believed? And you see behind them a living, breathing person who more than anything else in the world needs to encounter Jesus. It makes us question and it makes us search for answers. And the things that we were so certain of just moments before, Seems so uncertain now. For Saul, he finds himself eating, breaking bread at the house of a man who three days earlier he would have persecuted as much as possible, perhaps even killed. And now they're sitting at the same table, breaking bread, sharing a meal together. You see, there's not just this moment of deconstruction. There is a moment of reconstruction. When the way that we have seen things begins to crumble and God begins to rebuild these constructs and these thoughts and the way that we see the world, the perspective through which we see people begins to change and for Peter these people that he could not associate with he walks into their house to share the good news of Jesus with these Gentiles And the place that they are is a town called Samaria. And just a few years earlier, Peter and John find themselves in this town with Jesus, and they say, "Father, you or Jesus, do you want us to call down fire from heaven and destroy them?" And Jesus says to them, "You do not know." With what spirit you are speaking. See, in this story, in these stories, these worlds are rebuilt. People's perspectives are changed. And they're able to see Jesus as they have never seen him before. For Saul, seeing him not as Messiah, but a man who is against God and against everything that God has planned. Because Saul knows the law. He knows that Deuteronomy says, Cursed is anyone who would die on a tree, cursed of God. And God certainly wouldn't curse the Messiah. verse 34 of chapter 10 Peter began to speak I now realize and this is reconstruction I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right you know the message of God sent to the people of Israel announcing the good news verse 39. We are witnesses of everything he did in that country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a cross. But God raised him from the dead. And on the third day caused him to be seen. And he was not seen by all the people but by witnesses And while Peter was speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. And the circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. There are these moments of conversion. For Jesus' disciples, there was a moment in John chapter 4 where they encounter a woman in Samaria at a well. And after going back and forth with his disciples, Jesus tells them, lift up your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. And I think quite literally Jesus meant open your eyes, like look up. But more importantly, it is a metaphor for ministry. Jesus wanted His disciples to see the world, to see this woman through new eyes. In Ephesians, Paul is going to pray, Ephesians 3, that God would do more than we could ask or imagine. You see, it is our eyes... That are the doorway for us to see more than we could possibly ask or imagine. It is our eyes that God uses to allow us to see the world in new ways. It is our eyes that God uses so that we can see Him at work in this world. It is through our eyes that we gain new perspective. And one of the most problematic perspectives we have is the perspectives that we see in these stories. It's us versus them. We're right They're wrong. And maybe more than any place ever, we are seeing that right now in our political system in this world. It's us versus them. And we will fight with all we have to make sure that the other side knows that we're right and they're wrong. And it doesn't just happen in the political system, it happens in our churches, it happens in our families. It happens in our schools. It happens in our jobs. But one of the things that we see in these stories is that at the moment of conversion, that these people are filled with the Holy Spirit. That God's Spirit comes to live and dwell within them. And maybe one of the most helpful things to do when trying to realize and see the Holy Spirit is to recognize the unholy spirit. Ha-satan is the Hebrew word. The Satan. The word literally means the accuser. The the unholy spirit is the spirit of accusation. The unholy spirit is the one who stands in front to point fingers and to place blame. The unholy spirit is the spirit of Saul. And, And I can promise you Saul didn't see himself as an unholy person but we're going to Damascus to kill these people the unholy spirit is the spirit of Peter but he's obeying the law says it's us versus them see there's the unholy spirit Hasatan the Satan The accuser, the spirit of accusation. And then there's the Holy Spirit, which Jesus, the Greek word is paraclete, which literally means to come alongside of, it means an advocate, it means a helper. And there's a difference in perspective and where the two spirits stand. The spirit of accusation, the spirit of the accuser stands in front so that it can point blame and point the finger. The spirit of the advocate, of the helper, stands beside wonder I wonder if we were to go on Facebook and just look at people's posts I wonder what spirit we would see I wonder if we were to listen into the conversations that we have when it's just the us. And we don't have to worry about being heard by them because they aren't here. I wonder what spirit we would see. Would we see the spirit of accusation and hate? That is the unholy spirit. Or would we see the spirit of advocacy and love? Because sometimes we can be so concerned about making sure our doctrine is right that we push people out with it. And not to say that what we believe is not important. But at the end of this long journey for Paul, he writes this beautiful chapter in 1 Corinthians 13 on love. And he sums it up. He says, these three remain. These three abide. Faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these, the greatest of these is love. If we ever come to a point where we think our doctrine is more important than love. Let me tell you, we already have bad doctrine. For Saul, who becomes Paul, this new perspective changes the way that he sees people for Peter it opens his eyes to a new world a rabbi once asked his students how do you know the precise moment when it is no longer night but now it is day And the students begin to think and ask questions. And one answer, well, Rabbi, is it the moment that I can tell the difference in a walnut tree and a mulberry tree? And the rabbi said, no, no, that's not it. And another student jumps in and says, well, Rabbi, is it the moment that I can tell the difference between a sheep and a dog? He says, no, no. No, that's not it either. And one of the students says, Well, Rabbi, what is it? What is the moment, the precise moment when we can tell that night has ended and a new day has come and the rabbi says, It is when you can look into the face of a stranger and see your brother. Then, then it is truly a new day. See, there's this moment in this story for Saul when Ananias walks into the house and he places his hands on him and he says, brother, Saul. Could you imagine hearing those words for the first time that this man that I came here to persecute and possibly kill is calling me a brother. See, there are two truths that we know about every single person in this world. One, they are created in the image of God. And two, they are passionately loved by him. your beliefs are so important and what you hold on to in your faith that grounds you. But we cannot we cannot treat people Without love. It is the very thing that Jesus tells his disciple will make sure the world knows you. We need more of the spirit of advocacy right now in our world. I can promise you it sounds really different than everything else everyone is hearing right now. And I promise you, if it is done from a heart of love and compassion to help, to build up, to come alongside of, wanting so badly, listen, you have the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ that Jesus Died, was buried, was risen from the dead, that he reigns in heaven next to the right hand of God. You have the hope of the world inside of you. And God has called you with love and compassion to go into this world and proclaim that gospel to all who hear it. He set you apart. For that. But let me tell you this this doesn't come easy. This comes from formative, contemplative prayer, it comes from sitting with Jesus. And allowing him to transform and change your perspective. The the way that you see people. It's easy to throw stones at them. It's really difficult to love them. It's really difficult to love them when they stand in the face of everything that you have believed and hold on to. It's really difficult when they start throwing stones at you. It's difficult to allow Christ to transform you so greatly from the inside out that it's His Spirit that exudes from your life. But it is only then... That the world will know that you are my disciples. It is only then that the world will know my unfailing love. It is only then that this world has the opportunity to see Jesus. This is not easy. I can tell you it's a lot easier to stand up here and say than it is to live. There's been several instances in my life in the last several weeks where I've wanted to have that spirit of accusation. And quite honestly, the reason why is because that prayer Father, your kingdom come, your will be done. So many times is said that way, but it's simply hiding behind, my kingdom come, my will be done. See, the call to follow Jesus is the call to come and die to yourself. Do you understand the beautiful picture of baptism? And it talks so much about at this moment your sins are forgiven. Let me tell you why. Because literally what we are doing in that moment is we are dying to ourselves and being buried as Christ and raised to a new life as Christ was. The reason our sins are forgiven is because we're reborn. It's because we're a new creation. It's because the old has gone and the new has come. It's because we're filled with his spirit. That we are a new life. But there are times, there are so many times that we forget that. And just like Peter, we need to be converted again. We need to be called back to Jesus We we need to be called back to the way of love. We need to be called back to following him. We need to be called back to being his disciples. We need to be called back to that death of self. Because it's only through the death of our self that new life through him can live. So, what spirit? What spirit lives inside of you? Or maybe more importantly, what spirit is more often seen? See, people need the truth. They know they need to know that Jesus loves them and died for them. But through the spirit of accusation, most likely it's not going to be seen. It's only through the spirit of advocacy where we come alongside, where we walk with, people will see the unfailing love of Christ. Will you bow with me? Father, forgive us. Forgive us when we fail to love the world as you have called us your followers to do. Forgive us of our pride, our prejudice, our lust for power, Forgive us when our prayer is really, Father, our kingdom come, our will be done. Father, forgive us when our selfish desires and ways conflict with your kingdom. Father, forgive us when we're the first to throw stones. Forgive us when we're so quick to speak that we never hear what someone else is saying. Forgive us of the fingers that we point at others. When most of the time the finger could probably be pointed right back at us. Forgive us when we're filled with with a spirit of accusation and not a spirit of advocacy and love forgive us when people struggle so much with the church and with Christianity because what they have seen is accusation And not the unfailing love of God who so loved the world that He gave His only Son to come alongside of, to help, to cleanse, to redeem. And Father, we pray that You would give us a new perspective. A new perspective to see You exalted and holy and lifted up Father, a perspective to see ourselves as unconditionally loved. Father, give us new eyes to see people in this world merely as our estranged brothers and sisters. People made in your image, people that you have loved and are pursuing. And Father, let us simply join you in that pursuit. Father, we thank you. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the hope that we have in him. And Father, we pray this morning for new eyes. We pray this in the name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen. Amen. This morning we're going to pray. Travis is going to come in just a minute and and say a prayer over us and read a passage over us. But this morning, I just want to simply offer an invitation. That if you find yourself so many times with the unholy spirit, And I just want to confess that that, that's me. I just want to invite you to come sit here on the front pews, rows. And we just simply want to pray this morning over us. If you've never given your life to Christ, we would love to see you do that this morning. To be buried and raised to new life. to see the hope of the good news of Jesus. But whatever you need, come while we stand and we sing.